Good morning and welcome to The Morning Fix. I'm Julie Dye and I'm here with my colleague, Amy Shepard. Good morning. Morning Fix is a podcast series brought to you by the 510K Cafe. We're meeting with medical technology leaders to discuss trends, innovations, and the future of marketing and communications in the medtech industry. Today, we're kicking off a new series, MedTech Innovation in Austin. We're going to explore some of the different parts of the medical device ecosystem that are operating in the city today. Our first guest that we're thrilled to have is Megan Mavity, who's the Vice President of Global Marketing and General Manager of ENT at Smith & Nephew. Megan is a seasoned medical device marketer and has worked in upstream and downstream marketing from product ideation and global launch to market development and commercial excellence in early stage startups as well as multinational companies. We're thrilled that you're here with us today, Megan. Thank you so much. Oh, thanks for having me. Can you tell us a bit more about the marketing work that you've done with Smith & Nephew? Sure. So Smith & Nephew's ENT division, the mainstay products are for tonsillectomy. And we just recently purchased a company that has an in-office ear tube solution for, for children. So um, it, it's an interesting marketplace to be in um, as when we think about who we engage with um, to support our customers appropriately. We have a, a lot of education on uh, an engagement with a surgeon, but also um, the parent um, or the patient, uh, 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 depending on uh, what technology we're speaking about. So pretty unique um, for med device that doesn't always happen when you're doing direct consumer engagement, but it's a lot of fun. Is, that's interesting. Most of my work, and I know the bulk of the marketing work in med device is B2B to the physician, the, the, the physician customer. I'm wondering though, if that is the trend going forward where it's more B2C biz, uh, business to consumer, to that end customer, would you agree with that? I mean, it's a great question and consideration. I don't think we can ever disrupt the relationship that the physician or surgeon has with their patient. Um, so you always have to be respectful of, of making sure that the surgeon or physicians uh, empowered to make the appropriate call for what they think is right for their patient. Um, but I do think, you know, we we can and do have a role in making sure that they understand the options available, especially as we're thinking about a potential site of service shift like an in-office ear tube versus having to go to the hospital. That makes sense. So before Smith & Nephew acquired the ear tube company, did you then, you know, most of your marketing work was done to, directly to the surgeon or to the healthcare provider. So was this a first for the ENT division division to start looking at ways to reach that um, sort of end end patient end user patient um, or caregiver? So we did some uh, uh, outreach to uh, uh, the consumer with our tonsillectomy procedure. As you look at again, it's all about kind of education more so. Um, as it's an alternative and may help some children. We do have studies that show uh, less play, pain, less rebleed rate. So it, it's good to know that if you do need something like that, or you have other uh, pre-existing conditions that need to be considered, that there's an option that can provide that kind of uh, benefit for the patient and making sure that they know kind of what the options are out there. And are you seeing that the healthcare providers and surgeons that are doing these procedures are seeing 
a value add in medical device companies providing more content and information and education to that patient and caregiver audience? You know, it's an it's an interesting dynamic. I think we track things as, as you think about how much the primary care physician has to know and juggle in the day-to-day um, care of anyone they see. Um, there's a lot of interaction with an ENT and some of the, the things that they may see for uh, different populations. So I would say really our biggest, one of our biggest areas of focus, for example, for tonsillectomy has been um, uh, working with the ENT surgeons on when to look for if they need a tonsillectomy procedure, uh, what the guidelines are for when children are eligible and, and what the updated guidelines mean um, for them so that when, when they see that, they know to send that over to the ENT. Um, and then obviously, as we as we talked about, the parents and, and knowing what the options are out there. So for us, uh, you know, we're one of the leaders um, in the tonsillectomy procedure. We just want to make sure everybody has the right information at the right time so they can make the right decision. Yes, I, I understand that. That makes tons of sense. And and I think the the dynamic, the patient caregiver, you know, physician industry dynamic, I think over time it'll unfold and it is complex. And you do want to maintain those relationships with physicians because they are your first customer. Um, but then moving forward, especially in an, an ever-increasing social media world where end customers are seeing so many images, so many messages. It'll be interesting to see how how that uh, transitions um, over time. Absolutely. Megan, I did want to transition, though, over to um, to another topic, and I wanted to talk about trends. What trends do you see um, impacting medical device marketing in the next few years? I think it's an interesting question to ask right now, as I think COVID has highlighted a few things that we might see and and and, and made them even more important as we think about how med device is going to move forward. Sure. I think first of all, we need to be more efficient in how how we provide care. Um, it's been interesting to watch the adoption of telemedicine and how that's impacted things. Um, seeing that we, that we can uh, do things more efficiently. I think the other thing that we have to look at is the continued move of site of service um, considerations. Where should we be doing procedures as technology evolves? And and how can that build resiliency into the system where we don't have to take up that valuable hospital, um, you know, high need, high risk hospital bed um, in that time frame? So those are a couple of the big ones I see. Um, but that means for med device marketers, we need to make sure that we've done our homework on the value proposition we're providing and the health e- economic impact that has. And if we don't have that story worked out with strong data um, to show a clear picture of what that is, I, I, I think we'll struggle. Um, so um, really doing your homework, making the investment to, to have that data-driven discussion will be really needed as we see um, things evolve. Certainly. COVID has affected and changed things, um, changed the way we we practice medicine, changed the way we market, changed the way we treat patients forever. And it's still evolving. And uh, to be quick and nimble and to be flexible and to be able to pivot 
on a dime is essential in order for survival. So I, I agreed. It'll be interesting to see uh, how, how things go moving forward. So while we're on the topic of COVID-19, I heard you speak recently about the increase in training that your team has been able to do during some of the initial downtime that we all had during the first few months of the pandemic. And I was just wondering what longer term impact you think this might have on your business being able you know, to have spent a lot more time um, than you would have normally with um, training, whether it's your reps or whether it's your, your surgeon customers. Yeah, and we took an approach when COVID hit to make sure that we could continue to keep our our, our sales team focused on supporting our customers. Uh, in order to do that, we've had to get them familiar with different ways of engaging with customers. They may not be able to be in the OR or office all the time. So even thinking about how to use technology effectively as, as we're on a podcast using technology um, is really important to make sure we're support, supporting our customers in the right way with what they need. I think secondly, uh, as we've talked about a little bit previously, we can't just talk about a widget anymore. It's just not where things are going. Um, there has to be a health economics and value proposition engagement with surgeons to understand whether that the solution you're providing is something that can benefit them. So I think our sales teams need to evolve in how they can engage in those discussions and be really comfortable walking through whether that would be impactful to, to a customer or not. Um, so I think we'll evolve over time in, in our sales team getting a lot more comfortable in, in having kind of uh, discussions about how things might either positively uh, impact the surgeon's practice. I've seen a lot of newer companies kind of popping up during all of this that are, you know, talking about ways that they can enable through technology to allow more of that communication for those sales reps um, in the operating room. And in fact, I think um, Avail Technologies is is one of the companies that I think at a, at a corporate level, maybe Smith and Nephew had, had made an announcement that they were kind of taking a look at. Um, so I think it'll be interesting to see, you know, Certainly, we have things like Zoom and, you know, go to meeting and things like that. But I feel like the companies that are able to really specialize and provide a niche um, for that need in the operating room are, are really going to hopefully make a big impact in the, in the marketplace. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. And I think it, it just you need to fit, see where it fits within whether it makes sense strategically. We know a lot of our sports and orthopedics procedures, the, the surgery is half the battle, the rehab, the other half. So it's really important to make sure that um, patients are, are able to follow uh, whatever the surgeon's recommended rehab instructions are and enable that. Um, so, you know, that's one where I think it, it makes a lot of strategic sense. But, you know, I, I don't know if for us, if that makes sense for everything. But, um, yeah, it's an interesting way to look at it. Megan, Smith & Nephew is a global company, of course, with a pretty good size footprint here in Austin. And, um, you know, one of the things that Julie and I discuss often is that many people don't realize that Austin has been home for many years to larger medical device companies like Abbott, Zimmer, and others. What do you think it'll take for Austin to be more widely known as a hub for med device innovation, maybe like Minneapolis or the San Francisco Bay Area or Boston? 
Uh, as someone that moved from the San Francisco Bay Area, it's an, it's a that's a fun thing to consider. Uh, I, I kind of try to think back to what created that space in the Bay Area, and it was an interesting intersection of venture capital, um, well-educated people, and and just some you know innovative uh, minds in the area. And I think Austin has all the makings of that. I think one of the things that will impact that is really how does technology fit with a med device? Because you could see an easy uh, intersection between how Austin has built up the technology base, which we're much better known for, and and where a med device could build in from there. I think some of the interesting moves is, you know, for example, Merck putting their IT group here, um, and some of the things that the Dell Medical School is doing to interact with. Uh, uh, different companies and come up with better care solutions uh, for their patients. So I think if as those things evolve, Austin becomes a logical place to partner and continue to uh, grow the medtech uh, industry footprint. But I may be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're probably right. And I couldn't agree with you more. I too am a San Francisco transplant, um, moved out from the Bay Area years ago. And I agree with you that that, that, that mix of technology and talent and um, um, innovation sort of all melded together in the Bay Area. And obviously, they're a huge tech hub as well to fuel and also um, UCSF and Stanford Medical School, they're just their 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 powerhouses. The presence of those institutions further fuel innovation and creativity. So um, I agree with you, and I I think it's interesting as Dell Medical School started up about six years ago. Uh, time time will tell uh, if it, we too will become a a mini Minneapolis and similar uh, Minneapolis. I think I believe grew up around the Mayo Clinic, so you have these these uh, these biospheres of innovation, medical innovation, and intellectualism and talent. And I think that we are a fledgling geography. So it'll be it'll be great to see and, and watch as we go. Well, you know, I sort of fell into medical device marketing um, after I started in the technology industry. Um, so it's kind of interesting to see those two worlds kind of colliding in some cases, you know, where you've got things like, you know, re remote monitoring and, and things like that, that, you know, integrate more technology in, in software into medical devices. Um, but, you know, I, I kind of fell into it. And so I'm just curious, um, you know, sometimes I get asked, well, you know, that's kind of a niche area, right? Medical device marketing. And so I'd love your advice or opinions on how somebody just starting out in marketing um, might progress in a career path into medical device marketing. So I, 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 it's, it was an interesting story for me. I um, had interned for a medical, a startup medical device company in college and decided once I graduated from undergrad and kind of looked around at what I might want to do, I decided the med device was for me. And at the time, I lived in the Bay Area, so I wrote letters to all the startup CEOs <laughs> asking if they had any openings and got lucky with one of them and uh, uh, started as a marketing assistant. So I guess I'd encourage people to get your foot in the door any way you can. Uh, uh, you always learn a lot. And, and I took a path where I 
maybe a different path than traditional marketing. I did clinical work on a PMA. I definitely did reimbursement work. So I tried to round out my exposure to what that was to have a broader sense for not just marketing, but overall general management of a business. Um, uh, so, you know, don't you don't always have to take a traditional path either. Um, as long as you're learning and you're having fun, I think that's the important thing. Well, and I'm sure that that broader background has helped you, you know, as you've evolved into that general manager role too, to, you know, you, you don't just understand the marketing piece of it, but you really understand the operations and, you know, human resources and all of the legal and regulatory, all of the things that touch on a medical device business. So um, I think that's really great advice. And, and, and high five to you for having the, uh, the uh, chutzpah to uh, reach out to some CEOs. I love it. Well, yeah. I mean, you got to start somewhere, right? <laughs> yeah, it might as well be at the top. <laughs> That's what I love about about speaking with some of our med tech leaders. You find the most amazing nuggets of of knowledge and information that are so powerful. Um, Julie and I have spoken to many colleagues who have such interesting anecdotes and stories to share from early on in their career, how they made something happen, how they got a job, how they finished a project. And it's really, it's, it's really about being scrappy and brave. And yeah, that (laughs) I remember I did that early in my career is, is well. And, and I think what's so great about being young, you have no fear (laughs) and you have this, you're a little bit of a blank slate where you don't really know. You're not cynical. You don't really know how the world works, especially in the corporate world. And you're able to take that chance. And that's great advice to impart on on uh, young professionals starting their careers. So thank you for those thoughts. Absolutely. All right. Well, Megan, it's been such a pleasure uh, speaking with you. We always have a fun question that we ask our guests uh, one more parting question. And since you are here with us on the morning fix, we'd love to know what do you do for your morning fix? (laughs) Uh, It's probably a very interesting question. I look forward to hearing some others. Um, Well, I don't drink coffee because me on caffeine is never a good thing. Um, So my morning fix ends up being my my morning run uh, where I I'm able to kind of set my priorities and get my, uh, get in the right headspace for the day. That's perfect. That is perfect. I'm always so impressed with non-caffeine morning drinkers. I don't know how y'all do it, but I I think that's fantastic. (laughs) Well, thank you so much again, again, Megan. Thank you for your time. This has been great fun. Um, And thank you to all of our listeners. We're so thrilled you joined us. Please be on the lookout for more interviews from medical technology marketing leaders like Megan. And thank you again for tuning into The Morning Fix. Thank you. 